good morning. We're so glad that you've joined us today. I'm gonna start off by telling you a story. Now, have any of you ever taken a shortcut while you're traveling? Yes, okay. So a couple summers back, the Lehman family was on their annual summer trip, and this year we had gone to Georgia. And we were ending the trip, and we were headed home, and we caravan, you know, I think there was five or six vans driving home together, and we had Google Maps up, when one of my siblings said, hey, I checked on Waze. Has anyone ever used Waze? It's like an alternative, okay, map app, and it said, there's a shortcut we can take. And if we take this shortcut, we can avoid that dreaded Atlanta traffic which I, I guess I didn't realize, but Atlanta traffic is kind of well-known for being bad. So we text back and forth, and we decide, okay, we're gonna take this shortcut. Well, for the next 60 minutes, we were in the back hills of Georgia, in small communities, getting turned around, getting lost, and once you know it, getting stuck in traffic. Because multiple people had been rerouted through this shortcut. And I happened to be driving during this time, and it was incredibly stressful. It was so bad, I had to turn down the radio so I could see better. Anyone else have to do? Okay, thank you. I may or may not have yelled at some cute children. I do have pictures. They were cute, but they were loud, and they needed to be silenced. Okay, but don't judge me too harshly, because this was so stressful. This shortcut was supposed to make our lives easier, and honestly, it would have been better to stay on the original route. Now, I do understand that sometimes shortcuts do work out for you, but so often while we're traveling and really in life, shortcuts overpromise and they underdeliver. And yet they're so tempting, aren't they? Like in our minds, what is it about us that wants more for less? I know this is true in my own life. Like when I look at my own life, my everyday life, there's often times that I'm trying to get somewhere faster, trying to get somewhere easier. I like efficiency. I want my life to be controlled and comfortable. And this is an area where many of us are tested and tempted. We've been in this series called Tested for the last few weeks where we've been looking at the different temptations and tests that the enemy sends our way. And we've been specifically looking at a, a verse from 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. This is what it says. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. You see, the enemy tests us generally in these three places, physically, materially, and with our accomplishments and possessions. And we have been looking at how we can actually combat these tests of the enemy. And we've learned over the last couple of weeks, right? We've learned that we're in a kingdom battle, that there is an enemy on the field, that he is defeated, but he's not departed. And what that means is that testing and temptation, it's a normal part of life. But we've been looking at the person of Jesus, and we've been studying how he actually handled the test himself, and then how he now empowers us to overcome every test that we take. And last week, we looked at the physical test that Jesus had to endure, the test of hunger, and we learned about the power of God's uh, word, the weapon of his word. Now, I have a question. How many of you used the word of God last week on a test or a temptation? Anybody? Okay, a couple, good. I know I did. The, the hope is actually that we use these weapons to actually combat the tests and, and the temptations that the enemy throws our way. And so today, we are going to look 
at another test in our life, the test of worship. You see, we were created to worship. And what we worship defines who we are. But before I get too deep in this topic, I'm gonna pray and invite the Holy Spirit to be our teacher and then we're gonna jump in. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you today to be the teacher. Give us ears to hear, God. We come to you so that you can teach us what true worship is about. And so we just say, come and have your way. We welcome you to be here fully in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, I thought it might be helpful to actually start us off today by going first to our text. And our text is found in Luke 4. And I'm gonna read us the whole text so that we can kind of understand what's happening here. And then later on, I'm gonna break it down a little bit more fully, but let's just jump there and read what test Jesus faces. This is Luke 4, verse five. The devil lifted Jesus high into the sky and in a flash showed him all the kingdoms and regions of the world. The devil then said to Jesus, all of this with all its power, authority, and splendor is mine to give to whomever I wish. Just do one thing and you will have it all. Simply bow down to worship me and it will all be yours. You will possess everything. Jesus rebuked him and said, Satan, get behind me. For it is written in the scriptures, only one is worthy of your adoration. You will worship before the Lord your God and love him supremely. So we see here that this is a test of worship. Hmm. Well, I think it might be important that we actually define what is worship. Now, when I say the word worship, how many of you think of singing songs and like raising your hands? It's okay. Oh, good. Participation. Yes. Yeah, totally. I think of that too. I often think because we're in a church setting, we think of worship as singing out to God, and that is worship. But worship in a broader sense, it has, it has a deeper meaning, okay? To worship something is to greatly respect it, to honor it, to be devoted to it. Now, is anyone else like a word nerd? Word nerd out there? Okay, Google is your friend for this because you can actually see like the history of the words and where we got the words. And if we look at the word worship, we could actually better understand it as worthship. Worthship. Why? Because if we look, that the word worship actually comes from the old English word worth, and then that suffix ship simply means the state of being um, of whatever comes before it. So worship is the state of being worthy. To worship someone or something is to declare that it has worth, that it has value, that we give it our attention and our affection, that we serve it that we love it, that we give it our everything. That is what it means to worship. Now, did you know that humanity was created to worship? Yes. yes, this is actually our primary purpose, to worship the king. In fact, Jesus, when he was here on earth, the disciples were saying to him, you know, Jesus, you know, what, what's the greatest commandment? Like, what's the most important thing that we do? And Jesus replied to them, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. You see, we were created to worship, to love, to honor, to serve God. This is what we were created for. Our attention and our affection is actually a gift that we get to give back to God. So what's the problem? 
Well, the problem is, is that I see that we worship many things that are not God. We worship many things that are not related to God or connected to God in any way. And this is actually an issue of idolatry. Now, when I say the word idolatry or idols, I think this is a hard concept because in your mind, does anyone else just think of a tiny little statue like, or a little shrine? I know that I do. Like I hear idols and I think like a little statue. Or I think about like American Idol and you know, the, the you know, celebrity and success and fame. If you read the Old Testament, you know, we see over and over again, the people of God, they worshiped idols, right? They worshiped different gods, the God of the weather, the God of fertility. And so when we think about idolatry or we think about idols, it's so easy in our lives to be like, well, that's, that's like old time. That's like Old Testament. Like, or that, that's other religions. That's, that's not something I necessarily have to, to worry about. But you're wrong. Because idolatry is actually incredibly relevant for our day and age. There are so many things that are worshipped in our world. Beauty, power, success, money, comfort, control. I could keep going, but I'll stop. There are so many things that we worship that are not God. This issue of idolatry actually deeply affects us because what happens is that as these idols have control over us, our behavior and our beliefs are completely affected. And what's even scarier is sometimes there can be kind of like a surface level idol that has another idol that's underneath it that's actually driving the behavior. And so actually this affects each and every one of us. The truth is, idols are complex, driving our behavior. So the question is, okay, how do I know if I'm worshiping an idol then? Like, what would be, like, what would be signs? And I think we have to actually ask ourselves some questions. When you're in trouble, where do you run? When you want to comfort yourself, where do you go? If You can't have it if it's unattainable, if it's not within your reach, how do you feel? Because if you're miserable, that is a sign that it could be an idol in your life. You see, an idol is anything that we place above God that can only be found in God. An idol is anything that we place above God that can actually only be found in God. And so what ends up happening is we use these things to try to fill a need that we have that can only be filled by God. And it turns into this vicious cycle in our lives. We worship these idols. And the idols in our lives always overpromise and underdeliver. They are shortcuts and counterfeits to what God actually has for us. And the enemy loves to test us in this area. We are vulnerable in this place because we were made to worship. And the enemy knows this. So let's go back to our text. And I wanna take a little bit more time to unpack it. Some of you know that my mom and I had the amazing opportunity to go to Israel for 10 days um, in the month of June. And what was so cool was we got to go to some of the places that uh, this text talks about. And so I've got some pictures And um, I'm gonna show you some things. So let me just remind you what's happening in Luke 4. Jesus has been baptized in the Jordan River. And yes, we went to the Jordan River and mom had the opportunity actually to baptize some of the women there. 
incredible experience. This is Danelle Jackson. She's a vineyard pastor from Martinsville, Illinois. We helped to plant that church. And so Jesus has gone to the Jordan River. He's been baptized. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit takes him to the Judean desert. And I also got to see the Judean desert. And mom and I knew this series was coming up. So we definitely had a moment standing as we looked out over the very place that Jesus was tempted. Just incredible. So grateful for that opportunity. More to come on that trip because there were so many amazing things. So the Spirit takes Jesus out to the desert and there Jesus fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And after that, the enemy comes to test and to tempt him. And I think this is interesting. The enemy often tests and tempts us when we're in a place of vulnerability and weakness. And so last week we learned about the physical test. You know, Jesus turned this rock into bread and Jesus says, no, the scriptures tell us that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And now the second test, the test of worship. I'm gonna reread this text and then we'll break it down. The devil lifted Jesus high into the sky and in a flash showed him all the kingdoms and regions of the world. The devil then said to Jesus, all of this with all its power, authority, and splendor is mine to give to whomever I wish. Just do one thing and you will have it. Simply bow down to worship me and it will all be yours. You will possess everything. We're gonna pause here for just a minute. I think it's interesting to note that this is a visual test. Jesus was tempted by what he could see. And what, isn't this like a fascinating thought? So the enemy takes him up into the air and gives him like an aerial. That would be amazing to be able to see all the world. And in this moment, the enemy is actually testing, are you going to follow God's plan for you or will you follow my plan for you? You see, the enemy would have known that Jesus's mission here on earth was to bring back the kingdoms of the world under God's authority. When Adam and Eve sinned, sin entered the world and the enemy became the ruler of the world. And at this point in the story, the enemy is still that ruler. Hence why he actually has the authority to say like, hey, I'll give you all of this if you simply worship me. This is actually a test of our destiny. And what I have found is that often the idols in your life are trying to divert your destiny from fully happening. In this moment, this saying, hey, listen, you can do it my way or you can do it God's way. You see, God's way was actually that Jesus would first suffer and then enter into glory. And Jesus was truly tempted in this moment. And if he had said yes to the enemy, we would not have actually been able to be saved by his perfect sacrifice. Jesus was tempted here. I know we can read the story and be like, I mean, surely he understands. Like the devil's just like being the devil but he's weak, he's vulnerable. And the enemy is coming to test him and say, listen, just worship me. What's the big deal? I will give you everything that you need. And Jesus's response, of course, is Jesus rebuked him and said, Satan, get behind me. For it is written in the scriptures, only one is worthy of your adoration. You will worship before the Lord your God and love him supremely. This is really important because Jesus actually shows us a couple of different things and weapons that we actually have access to as we are tempted and tested in the whole area of idolatry. When the enemy tempts us and tests us and kind of dangles something in front of us, the very first thing that Jesus says to him is, Satan, get behind me, where actually Satan belongs. 
And, and this is actually, it, it's repeated later on in, in James chapter um, four, seven, James wrote, so humble yourselves before God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You see, it is actually pride that tells us that the shortcut or the counterfeit is a better way. And it's humility, the weapon of humility to say, okay, Lord, I actually, I don't know but you do know, and I know I was created to worship, and I know my attention and my affection is a prize that belongs to you and to you alone. And so I can resist the enemy. I can say, Satan, get behind me. Only one is worthy of my worship. And that is what Jesus says to him. And then Jesus, of course, goes back to that first weapon of warfare that he used in the first test. He goes to the weapon of the word and he actually goes back to Deuteronomy. And he's like, listen, Moses taught us this. Moses taught us that we must only worship and serve God as humans. This is what we're created for. We are created to worship and to serve. And so the most important thing that we do is worship God. What you worship defines who you are. And we all worship something. And so Jesus tells Satan, only one is worthy of my um, adoration, and I am here to love and to serve God. And so just a couple more observations from this passage. You know, the first thing I noticed is, again, this is a visual test. And I don't think there's ever been another generation in history that has been as visual as our generation, all because of that tiny device that we carry around with us everywhere. We can see so much. And 1 Peter 2 told us, we're gonna have a craving for everything that we see. And so oftentimes, places of testing and temptation come because of the things that we see with our natural eye. And I believe today there's freedom. I believe there's freedom today. The weight of dissatisfaction that some of you are living under is unbearable. Are you tired of being dissatisfied? by craving everything that you see, Jesus actually wants to set you free. You see, the world, it worships stuff, and it says that this stuff is gonna satiate us and satisfy us, and that's just a lie. It's empty. There is only one who can actually fill those needs that we have in our heart. There's only one. So the enemy is gonna test us. In this area, he's gonna test us with shortcuts and counterfeit, He's gonna test us with his plan versus God's plan. And his trade is this. If you worship me, I will give you what you need. I will give you what you want if you worship me. I can tell by the looks on your faces. You're like, okay, I get it, but I'm not worshiping the devil. Like I'm not singing him songs. I'm not saying like all, you know, all hail devil or anything like that. Like I'm, I'm not worshiping the devil. What if I told you that worshiping the devil is the same as worshiping idols? You see, we're all struggle, we all struggle with wanting to worship idols, and it doesn't look the way you think it's going to look. And so I think the question we have to ask is: okay, what does worshiping the enemy, worshiping idols, actually look like in our everyday lives? And this is where we actually have to do some self-reflection. And don't worry, I'm gonna tell some bad stories on myself later. So if you're feeling bad about yourself, just Hang tight, I'm gonna get there in the message. We have to ask ourselves some questions. Okay, what does it look like in my life? You know, for some people, it's the idol of power. 
and they push down others to, to raise themselves up, or it's, it's, the, it's the idol of success. You know, it's okay to cheat on this test. I really need to go to good grade because I really wanna get into this right school. It's the idol of pleasure. We physically pleasure our, you know, our bodies with food and drink and whatever, you know, because that's what we serve, that's what we worship. It's the idol of control and comfort. You know, maybe the Lord's told us to do something, but you know, I wanna do it my way on my timetable. And so we worship these different idols. And so I think the question we gotta ask ourselves right now is what are we worshiping? What are we giving our time and our attention and our devotion and our love to that is actually under or over-promising and under-delivering? Because these are the places of idols. And what I find so interesting is that, you know, this is individual for each and every one of us. You were born into a specific family and a generation that shaped you. You know, you've had jobs, you've had history. You, your life is unique. How the enemy attacks you in this whole area of idolatry is unique to every single one of us. I, I felt, I heard the father say, you know, his, his strategy is collective, but his plan is selective, his strategy is collective. The collective plan, get them to worship something besides God. Get them to bow down to something that is not me. That's his plan. But then his, his actual, his actual like plan of attack on your life, it's selective. It, it's personal. It's where you probably have had pain or issues from your past. It's, it's where there's maybe some brokenness. And what we're trying to do with idols is we're trying to fill that place of brokenness with something that will always overpromise and underdeliver. These idols are so tempting. These shortcuts are so tempting. And today, I believe that Jesus wants to bring us freedom in this area. You know, I think we need to ask ourselves, what am I worshiping and why am I worshiping it? What am I believing about this thing that can like bring me joy or bring me peace or bring me hope? I asked some friends this week, I said, hey, what do you think are some of the idols you guys worship in your lives? And, and the responses were fascinating. Being right, being understood, security, peace, control. These are places that people said, you know what? I put a lot of time and attention. I devote myself. I make sure this thing happens. I worship these things because I believe that if I keep this at the center, if I say, okay, I'm gonna be successful no matter what I do. If I, if I worship that idol, it will actually produce the fruit I want it to. And it's a lie. It's a shortcut. It's a counterfeit. We are so vulnerable in this area because we were made to worship the king. We were made to worship the king. And so this is an area we're gonna be tested and tempted. And so I know this is hard. I know this is personal. I know this requires us to say, okay, where are places in my life that I am putting too much of my time and my attention and my affection on? Where are places where if I don't have it, if it's unachievable, if it's unattainable, I'm miserable? Because these are places that actually today, the Holy Spirit wants to help us uproot those idols and replace it back with King Jesus, who rightfully belongs there. So let me just tell you a little bit of my own story so that you see I'm on a journey too. Well, my whole life, I have wanted to avoid pain. Can anyone relate? Oh, my people. Yeah, I've wanted to avoid pain. And as I've processed, like, okay, why am I the way that I am? Which is a great question to ask. Um, you know, I realized that I wanted to avoid pain because I am the daughter of pastors. 
And I watched my parents sacrificially say yes to the destiny that God had on them, and they had to give stuff up. They had to give up money, freedom. And when you're a pastor, your life has a lot of interesting people in it, and there's a lot of pain in it. And so I was exposed to, you know, my parents were pastoring people who, who had gone through really terrible things like death and divorce and job loss and losing a child and things that were incredibly painful. And so the story in my head began to be, you want a controlled and comfortable life. You don't need to be extraordinary. The best thing you could do is just a controlled, comfortable life, preferably with a lot of vacations, manageable, curated, that's the type of life that you want. And so from the time I was a child, I have wanted to avoid pain and I have wanted to have a comfortable life. And how that really manifested in my life is that I have struggled with control, that I want my life to look a certain way at a certain point and I want it my way. Well, years ago, my mom, who founded the church with my dad and is very prophetic, said to us five kids, hey, I have a prophetic word for everybody and I wanna share them with the five siblings. And so we got together and I'll never forget when it was my turn. And she said to me, Julie, the word for you is joy and sorrow deeply mingled. I was like, oh, thank you. Uh, Is there more to the word? And I really didn't like the word. I really didn't like the word. And the hard part was like, I knew this was actually how the world worked. Like I knew there was gonna be a lot of pain. Like there's problems in the world, right? There's pain. And then I knew that Jesus even told us in like John 16, you know, he's like, take heart. Cause in this world you have many trials and troubles, but I have overcome. And I was like, okay, so I know it's the truth. I know Jesus said it, but can I pretend that it's not the way that life is? Cause I, I'm all about that joy, all that joy. I don't want the sorrow. And so I kind of tucked that word back away in my brain and tried not to think about it. Well, about 10 years ago, I was well on my way to the perfect controlled life. It was the summer of 2012. I was pregnant with our third child. I had a manageable amount of children. Mike was making, (laughs) you can laugh, it's fine. Mike was making great money in the business world. I I worked here, but I worked 10 hours a week as a small group pastor, and I was just living my best life. I mean, we, we had friends, we had family, we had a lovely home. I was just like, I'm, I've arrived. This is my comfortable and controlled life. Thank you, Lord. So happy. And yeah, I worshiped comfortability, and I worshiped control, and it served me, and I served it. And that was the thing I wanted for my life. Well, a few months after that summer, uh, Mike lost his job. And if you've ever lost your job, definitely not comfortable or controlled. And I began to feel a lot of panic, like, Lord, we have a deal here. And then I had a third baby, and I'm just gonna be real honest. I was struggling, and it was hard. And we were out, you know, man-to-man, suddenly team. I'm not, I, I was overwhelmed. And then things began to shift, and and I noticed a shift in Mike, and I was like, oh, no, Lord. Oh, no, Lord. What what are we doing here, Lord? And then on the team here, people were coming on and off the team, and the leadership at the time came to Mike and I and said, hey, we we want you to consider stepping in to more here and and taking on a, a leadership role here. 
And my first thought was like, mm, nah. Because I thought to myself, that is a job that has joy and sorrow deeply mingled. And I am on the comfort train. That is where I'm headed, to Comfortville. And we are going to live a very comfortable life with a lot of vacations. <laughs> Thankfully, I felt the father's encouragement that we were supposed to pray about it. And so we began to pray about it as a couple. And interestingly, the father took us to Matthew 6:33. Now, why that's interesting is that when my dad came to the University of Illinois in the 1960s, he was not a Christian. He did not know God. He never wanted to be a pastor. And his father was a very strong Christian, my grandfather, and given him a Bible. And inside the Bible was Matthew 6, 33. And it said, this is the most important verse for your life. And so Mike and I read this verse, very famous verse. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And in this moment, we heard the father say, who are you gonna worship? What are you gonna worship? Are you gonna worship comfort? Or are you gonna worship me? Because you see, it's actually in seeking him first, in seeking his kingdom first, what ends up happening? All things will be added to you. The issue of idolatry is actually that we are trying to solve our own issues. We are trying to provide for ourselves and the issue actually needs to be knocked over. We actually need to say to these idols, you cannot fulfill me, only one can fulfill me. I was created to worship him, and when I worship him, he fills every part of that brokenness that is in me from my past. He fills those places where I am scared. And so with trepidation, in fall of October, or October of 2014, Mike and I said yes. We said yes to joining the team in a fuller way. And we said, okay, Lord, we are gonna actually humble ourselves. We're gonna surrender because we know we were created to worship you and we trust you. We trust you more than we trust ourselves. And I am so happy to report that since then, it has been rainbows and butterflies, people. You know what it's been? Joy and sorrow deeply mingled. Because that's actually the way of kingdom people. It's not just a word for me. It's a word for all of us. Our lives are actually supposed to be joy and sorrow deeply mingled as we have kept King Jesus at the center of who we worship. And yes, there has been incredible joy as we have laid down our lives and said yes to loving and serving. And yes, has there been sorrow? There has. Have I been tempted to worship control and comfort? Absolutely. But I do know this that any attempt that I make to fill those needs in my life is pathetic next to keeping Jesus where he belongs, keeping him at the center of who I worship. I don't have to worship control and comfort. I actually can't make my life comfortable or controlled. I can, though, submit to the king and know that comfort and control lives within him. Each of us is being invited. We're being invited today to say, okay, what am I worshiping, God, that's not you? Where has an idol you know, taken hold and, and where do you want me to have freedom here today? Because actually today, it's all about freedom. It's all about knocking those idols down and replacing King Jesus to where he belongs at the center of our lives. He alone is worthy. He alone, the one who created you, the one who knit you together in your mother's womb, who loves you, who has a plan and a purpose for you, he's the only one who is worthy of our time and our affection and our, our attention and and all that we have, you were created to love and to serve God. And today, there's just a fresh invitation 
to say no to the idols in our lives, to say no to those tests of worship that the enemy wants to bring, and to say yes to doing what you were created to do, worship the king. And so this is what we're gonna do. We're actually going to worship. And so if you are able, if you'd stand, and I'm gonna pray us into worship. You see, this is worship, so don't feel bad. This is actual worship too, physical acts of worship. And the enemy wants nothing more for you to worship those idols. But what physical worship, where we sing songs and we raise our hand, what it does is it recenters us. It actually helps us refocus to knock down those places of idolatry in our lives and to say, no, Lord, you and you alone are worthy of my affection. And so today I wanna encourage you, there's lots of space to spread out. The set is super powerful just as we worship the worthy one. And we're just gonna see what Jesus wants to do. I think he's gonna bring tons of freedom and there's gonna be just lots of beauty in here. So Holy Spirit, you're here. We welcome you more fully to do what only you can do, to help us knock down places of idolatry, to knock down places that we've placed above you, King Jesus. If you're comfortable, would you just raise your hands to any, any level? This is the sign of surrender. Father, we surrender this time, these moments, this worship to you. May you be exalted from our praise.